0: This morning, we are continuing our series uh, going through the book of Ephesians. If you're new to Ecclesia or have just like stumbled across this live stream, uh, we have been going through this book, which was written to the church in Ephesus by the apostle Paul. And uh, this morning, we're gonna be looking at a prayer that is located at the very end of chapter three of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians itself is roughly divided into into two parts. The first part is chapters one through three, where Paul is outlining for us the blessings that God has poured out upon Jesus' followers. Then in chapter four, where we're gonna be starting here in a couple of weeks, uh, we will see that Paul's gonna turn the direction and he's gonna start talking about guidelines that we have for living in light of those blessings. But here as we get to the end of chapter 3, we we see this prayer where it appears that Paul seems so overwhelmed by all the blessings that God has given to us that he just can't help but but break out in praise to God. And so we see written for this, this incredibly beautiful and this powerful prayer that really serves as the climax of the first half of the book of Ephesians. Last week, uh, Pastor Steve took us through the first half of this prayer in verses 14 through staff of 17. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at 17b all the way through verse 21. And as we look at these a few verses, we're gonna we're gonna ask uh, four different questions. First, we're gonna ask who is Paul praying for. Secondly, we're gonna ask what is Paul praying for. Third, we're gonna ask how is it that God will answer that prayer. And finally, why does Paul pray for this? So that's our outline for this morning. It's going to be who, what, how and then why? And so that's our outline for this morning. And as as we answer these four questions, we're gonna see that we should not be satisfied with what we know about God and his love. But instead, we should ask God for the capacity to love him more so that we can glorify him more. So let's start by asking the question, who is Paul praying for? And we see the answer to this question in verse 17. Last half of verse 17 says that you being rooted and grounded in love. So who is that you that Paul is talking about? Well, obviously the answer to that is in the name of the book. It's the Ephesians. Paul is writing this letter and he is praying for this church in Ephesus, this multicultural church that God has somehow miraculously and mysteriously brought together, both Jew and Gentile, people from different religious backgrounds, people from different ethnic backgrounds have come together and become united in this church in Ephesus as they are united in the gospel of Jesus. But there's something remarkable here, because if we skip ahead to the middle of verse 18, we see that Paul is not just praying for the church in Ephesus. He is also praying for all Jesus followers. Because if you look in the middle of verse 18, you see these four little words that says, with all the saints. See, Paul is not just praying for the saints in Ephesus. He says, I'm praying for all of the saints. Now, unless you grew up in a Roman Catholic background or unless you're a New Orleans football fan, you probably don't use the word saint very often in your day-to-day language. Uh, But the word saint is one of Paul's absolute favorite words. He uses it nine times in the book of Ephesians. And when Paul uses the word saint, he's referring to all Jesus followers. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a saint. In other words, when Paul is praying here in Ephesians chapter 3, he is praying for every single Jesus follower. He is praying for you. He is praying for me. He is praying for us. Paul is not praying for some isolated experience that is taking place in Ephesus, but he is praying for something that is shared by all believers of all time in every location. Now, because we live in an individualistic culture, however, it is really easy for us to read the prayers and the promises that are found in the Bible, and to try to apply those to us as individuals, as individual Jesus followers. But this prayer and most prayers and most promises in the Bible are not for us as individuals, but they are, as Paul says here, for all of the saints. It may seem super spiritual for us to kind of sit alone in isolation and to sit and just meditate on who God is and his love for us, but God doesn't work that way. God works within community. God God works specifically within the community of the church. And we need the fellowship of other believers if we're going to know God better, if we're going to know God more, if we're going to understand his love for us. And that doesn't change just because there's a pandemic. God is still calling us, even at this time, to be part of a community. Even while we're self-isolating, we need to be reaching out to one another. we need to be doing that on a much more proactive basis because it's it's not going to happen just uh, by itself. We have to proactively reach out to one another, to stay connected to one another because that is how God deals with us as a church, as a community. So we need to be texting our friends and, and, our, and our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be on FaceTime. We need to be uh, using the phone to be connecting with each other. We need to be reaching out to each other. We need to be encouraging one another. We need to be praying for each other even more, all the more, In this time because you see we will never be able to comprehend the love of Christ in isolation we have to do it with all the Saints so Paul is praying for the Ephesians and he's also praying for us but then he says something about those for whom he's praying he states in verse 17 that those who he's praying for that they are rooted and grounded in love Paul is using two metaphors here. First, he uses an agricultural metaphor. He says that we are like trees with roots that are rooted in love. Roots are what holds a tree in place. Roots are what keep a tree from falling over in the middle of a uh, windstorm. And so as a Jesus follower, he says our roots are deep in love. Secondly, he uses an architectural metaphor. The word grounded here literally means laying a foundation. In other words, we are like a building who have put our foundation in love. And, you know, without a firm foundation, a building will, will just collapse. But as a Jesus follower, our foundation is built firmly on love. But it's not love itself that we are rooted in and we are grounded in. You know, in our culture today, we, we talk about love as if, as if it exists on its own. We, we act like love is like some virus that just kind of floats around and lands where it will. Where it will. But we can't be rooted in some sort of a vague and, and warm feeling called love. No, instead, we have to be rooted and grounded in God's love for us. Because God's love is the standard by which all love is defined. First John 4, 7 says it this way. It says, Love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. See, it's only when, our, when we sink our roots into God's love, when we build our foundation on the love that God has for us, that then we will be in a place where we can receive what it is that Paul's about to pray for. So in answer to our first question, who is Paul praying for? He's praying for the church in, Ephesian, in Ephesus. Secondly, he is praying for all of the saints. And third, he's praying for those who are already rooted and grounded in love. So now that we know who Paul is praying for, that brings us to our second question. What is Paul praying for? What is, God, what is Paul going to God pray for on our behalf? And there's three things that Paul prays for. First, he prays for strength to comprehend. Secondly, he prays for knowledge. And third, he prays for filling. So the first thing he prays for is strength to comprehend. Take a look at verse 18. Verse 18 says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? Paul is praying specifically for the strength to comprehend the vastness of God's love. However, we don't have the rational capacity to comprehend this. He says "It's, it's it, it, we don't have the strength to comprehend it. We are too small. We are too weak to understand the bigness of God's love. Our, our puny brains just can't handle it my freshman year at the University of Oregon, uh, I enrolled in math 201, which was calculus. And uh, you know, I, that first term, I did great. I, I think I actually got an A uh, that term. So in winter term, I signed up for math 201, which I think was uh, integral calculus, did pretty well in that class as well. So I'm cruising along thinking spring term, math 203, the next term of calculus. And uh, I jumped into that thinking I would do great. And I remember that is when I hit a wall. Um, I remember sitting in that classroom at DD hall and I remember the professor trying to explain how to how to map five-dimensional objects on two-dimensional graph paper and, and my mind was just like i can't I can't figure this out I, it, it, this is too much for me I, I had tapped out in my mathematical knowledge. Uh, So I immediately went down, I changed my my grade to pass, no pass, and then I just looked, was like hanging on for dear life until the end of the term. And that, that for my friends, was the end of my math career. My my puny brain just could not absorb the depths of math 203. In the same way, in the same way that I couldn't understand how to map five-dimensional objects onto graph paper, so it is that we do not actually have the ability to really grasp the bigness of Christ's love. But there's something fascinating here with the wording that Paul uses. Because he doesn't pray that we would be able to comprehend the bigness of Christ's love. Instead, he prays that we would have the strength to comprehend his love. Because to grasp God's love requires more than just our intellect. It actually requires power. Uh, It requires ability. It requires strength. Without intervention from God, the the love of Christ would actually crush us under its weight. Paul is describing his love here in geometric terms. He talks about its breadth, its length, its its height, and its depth. He's describing a love that is too large to be measured by any sort of geographical measurements. He's saying that the dimensions of God's love are absolutely immeasurable. His love is so vast that if we fully understood it, our brains would literally explode. Therefore, To know God's love, to know his love, requires strength and ability and power to comprehend all that is wrapped up in his love. The good news is, though, that God has been able to graciously show us his love in a very tangible way, because his love is demonstrated through Jesus and his death on the cross. In 1 John 3.16, it says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. You see, each of us has rebelled against God. Each of us has rejected God's authority over us. And the sentence for rebellion against God is a sentence of death. And yet Jesus left his heavenly home. He came, in, he came as a human being and he died on the cross for us so that we no longer need to be under that death sentence. Romans, 6, Romans 5, 6 through 8 says it this way. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How can we begin to know the bigness of God's love? Well, God showed us his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, it's in Jesus' death on the cross that we can know Christ's love. In 1 John 4, 9 and 10, it says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. My friends, you are loved by Jesus far more than you can ever hope to realize. The breadth, the length, the height, the depth of Christ's love is so great that he became one of us so that he could die on our behalf. And for those of us who have received that love, for those of us who are rooted and grounded in that love, that love can never be taken away. Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, I am sure That neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know that kind of love? Have you experienced that kind of love? Are you rooted and grounded in that kind of love? My prayer for you, even this morning, is the same as Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, that you would have the strength to comprehend the breadth and the length, the height and the depth of God's love for you, as revealed by Christ dying on the cross on our behalf. So the first thing that Paul prays for is the strength to comprehend Christ's love. The second thing that Paul prays for is for knowledge. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 19, the first half of verse 19. He says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, this is actually the odd thing that Paul is praying for. He's askingly praying for something that's seemingly impossible. Because how can somebody know something that surpasses knowledge? How can someone comprehend something that's incomprehensible? You see, the problem here is that God's love surpasses knowledge. In other words, The love of Christ is so completely different than our experience that even the smartest and most perceptive human being cannot comprehend it. And yet paradoxically, Paul prays that we would know something that surpasses knowledge. Several years ago, I was uh, teaching a systematic theology class and theology is just the study of the Bible. It's just a fancy word for that. And, And there was this young man in this class with me and he said that there really is no point to studying systematic theology. See, he explained that because God is infinite, then God is actually not knowable. And if God is not knowable, then there's no point in actually trying to study him, and therefore there's no point in taking a systematic theology class. Uh, and so, you know, I always thought, first of all, that was kind of odd, because here he is sitting in the class telling me that there's no reason to actually take the class. And in some sense, I think we have to admit that that young man is correct. As, as Paul says, the love of Christ is something that surpasses knowledge. We can't ever really know it. 1 Corinthians 2, chapter, verse 16 says this. He says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? I, I, and the answer to that is, well, nobody. I mean, nobody can instruct the Lord. No, nobody knows God's mind. Nobody can teach God anything. Uh, so there is some sense in which this theology student was correct. Nobody really can understand God. But there's a second half to that verse in 1 Corinthians 2.16 because it says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. The second part of that verse says something really remarkable, that those of us who are in Christ have the mind of Christ. That is, when you become a Jesus follower, you receive the Holy Spirit who comes to indwell in you. And that Holy Spirit will come and he will transform our minds so that we can understand something of the complexity and the deepness of who God is. Earlier in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, in verse 10, it says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll ever be as smart as God. It doesn't mean that we'll ever be able to fully comprehend an infinite God. But it does mean that God can and will reveal something of himself to us through the Spirit so that we can know something that is unknowable, the very depths of God. It means that it's right and it is proper for us to study theology. And it also means that we can and we should pray as Paul does that God would increase our capacity to know and understand him and his love so that we could know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So Paul so far has prayed for, first of all, the strength to comprehend the love of Christ. Secondly, the knowledge, that, to, the knowledge of his love, which surpasses knowledge. And the third thing then that Paul prays for is that we would be filled with the fullness of God. Take a look at the second half of verse 19. It says that you may be filled with the fullness of God. You know, when you go to the gas station and you ask the attendant to fill up your tank, what you're basically asking that attendant to do is to put in enough gas until the tank is completely full. But that's actually not what Paul is praying for here. He's not praying that God would fill us up to the full capacity of our tank. What he's actually praying for here is that he would increase our tank's capacity so that it could reach the very fullness of God. That's a bold prayer. But Paul says that's our goal, that our goal as a Jesus follower is that we would expand our capacity until we have actually grown into the very fullness of who God is. Look at what Paul says in the very next chapter of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. In Ephesians 4, 13 and 14, he says that our goal as Christians is to grow until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, Steve is going to be teaching on this passage in a few weeks after Easter. He'll be be looking at this. So I don't want to steal his thunder. But but the context of the passage is that he's talking about one of the purposes of the church. And one of the purposes of the church is to make sure that all the members of the church will grow in spiritual maturity until they reach spiritual adulthood. And what's the measure of that adulthood according to this verse? It says the stature of and the fullness of Christ. That's our goal as Jesus followers. That should be our prayer, that we would grow up to be spiritually mature to the point where we have reached the full maturity of Jesus Christ himself. And so this is the culmination of what Paul is asking for here in this prayer, what he's asking for for the Ephesians and for all the saints. He is asking that we might mature to the point where we are as mature as Christ himself in all three of these prayer requests, in this prayer for strength to comprehend and and for knowledge and and to be filled with the fullness of God, in all three of these, what Paul is really praying for is that we would have an increased capacity for knowledge, that, that we would have an increased capacity to know who God is. In other words, we should be asking God for the capacity to know him more so that we can glorify him more. So we've answered the question, who is it that Paul is praying for? He's praying for the Ephesians and he's praying for all of the saints. Secondly, we answered the question, what is Paul praying for? He is praying for us to be able to increase our capacity to know him. And that brings us then to our third question. How will God answer Paul's prayer? How is God going to accomplish this? And we see the answer to that in verse 20. Take a look at verse 20 of Ephesians chapter three. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. How is God gonna answer Paul's prayer? The answer is through the power of God. And there's two things he says about the power of God. First, God has more power than we can even imagine. And secondly, that God's power is at work in us. If you think about what Paul has been asking here in this prayer, he's asking really some absurd things. He's asking that we can know the unknowable. He's asking this that that we can be filled up to the full measure of God. That's that's a crazy thing to ask for. But these crazy absurd things are not impossible for God because God is able to do more than all we can ask or think. And, And God is not just slightly able to do more than all we can ask or think. It says here that God is able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or think the words translated here as far more abundantly are actually a single compound word in the original greek and it's a word that literally means hyperabundant one commentator said that this word is the highest form of comparison imaginable in other words god's power is hyperabundant it's it's uberabundant it's it's superabundant At this point in the prayer, you you get to feel like Paul has just like exhausted his vocabulary of superlatives as he tries to describe what the power of God can do for us. For God is not restricted by our, our, our prayers. God is not restricted by our knowledge. God knows no bounds. Even our expectations cannot limit him. It is his power, not our prayers, that are the measure of what God will accomplish in and through and for us. Let me say that again, because I think it's powerful. It is his power, not our prayers, that are the measure of what God will accomplish in and through and for us. And here's the amazing thing. Not only does God have more power than we can even possibly imagine, but that that power, God's power, is at work in us. See, God doesn't just use this omnipotent power to do things like create the universe. No, God's omnipotent power is at work inside of you and me in order to change us to become more like Jesus. Now, when you think about that kind of power being at work within us, it actually can be a really scary thing because power is really scary. For example, I'm I am really scared of electricity. So so when I'm at home and I'm working on a home improvement project that involves electricity, I get really, really cautious about it. So if I'm, like, fixing a, a wall socket or I'm ch- even changing a light bulb, you know, I'll go down to the circuit breaker down there and I'll I'll switch the breaker off and I, I'll, like, make sure it's off. I'll have my wife upstairs and I'll say, is that light off? Are you sure? Are you absolutely sure? Because I, I don't want to get electrocuted when, when I go to change that wall socket or, or when I change the light bulb. I, I'm scared of electrical power, like, being in me. And and so the thought of having the power of God, the omnipotent power of God, inside of me can actually be a little bit scary. But notice how in this passage, Paul connects God's hyper-abundant power with his incomprehensible love. See, God's love and God's power go hand to hand because love without power really doesn't really do much for us. I mean, it's, it's nice and everything, but it's just a warm platitude. It, it doesn't really accomplish anything in us. And yet power without love is just abuse. But when you combine that incomprehensible love with that hyper abundant power, you have a God who can not only do far more than we can ask or think, but a God who will actually use that power for our good because he loves us so much. And this is so incredible. It's so amazing. It's so unexpected that all we can do at this point is stop and praise God. And that's exactly what Paul does in verse 21, where he says to him, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. And that leads us to our final question of the morning. Why? Why is Paul praying for this? The answer is so that God can be glorified. See Paul is not praying that we would have strength and knowledge and filling so that we can have some sort of sex to be self actualized individuals empowered to create our own destiny. No, Paul is praying that we would have strength and knowledge and filling so that we can give God all the more glory. Because you see the more we understand God's love for us, the more we will be able to bring him glory. But what does it mean to give glory to God? The word glory literally means splendor or light. To have glory is like to shine like a star. And that's why we call actors movie stars. It's why we call uh, uh, musicians rock stars because they shine like a star. You can think of their glory as being something similar to the, the word that we would use, fame. But the fame of a movie star, the fame of a rock star, it may shine brightly for a while, but quickly it fades away. Because celebrity or fame, is entirely dependent upon other people recognizing and remembering us. But that's not true of God, and it's not true of his glory. You see, God's glory is not dependent on us. God's glory is inherent within him. God doesn't need us to worship him in order for him to have glory. In fact, according to John seventeen five, God's glory existed before creation as the Father, the Son, and the Spirit and eternity past glorified one another. So when we give glory to God, we are not giving him something he doesn't already have. We are instead are recognizing him for who he already is. Our praise is a recognition, not an augmentation of his glory. Verse 21 goes on to tell us that God is glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus. That the church exists to glorify God. That is why at Ecclesia, the very first of our six core values as a church is to glorify God. Our core values statement says this. It says, we exist to make much of Jesus Christ in everything we do or say. This is our primary purpose in life. And that is the purpose of Ecclesia, to glorify God. And God is glorified when we, as a church, come together and we serve him and we worship him together. You know, these last few weeks, I've been like you, sitting at home with my wife Watching these live streams and uh, participating in worship as the worship team leads us, uh, studying along with Steve as he's as he's opened up the Word, and it's been great. It's been it's been good, and it's it's a blessing that we have the ability through the internet uh, to be able to connect in this way. But we should never make the mistake that this live stream it has any comparison at all to when we meet together as a church and we gather together to worship the Lord. When I when I think about the times when we get together and 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 we can sing together, we can hear each other's voices as we lift up God in prayer. There is nothing like that that can be replicated through a live stream. When we come together, it's, it's this mystery, it's, it's this amazing mystery that God has where he brings together people of different ethnicities and different backgrounds and different economic situations, and we come together united in Christ as brothers and sisters, and we, we praise him together, we, we study his word together, we pray together, we take communion together, and when we do that together as a church, God is most glorified. And so we pray, Lord, that you would hurry up and make it so that we can be together again as a church so that we can give you glory and praise. But God is not just glorified in the church. It says here he's also glorified in Christ Jesus because this is what Christ sought to do when he was here on this earth. He came according to John 17, 4 in order to give glory to his father. But Paul here is putting together Jesus in the church in this one verse so as to show us that there are not actually two separate places of God's glory. It's not like God's glory is found in the church and in Christ Jesus, but God's glory is found in the church in the church through Christ Jesus. Paul is saying that it's the church and Jesus are not two separate places where God is glorified, but that the church is the means by which Jesus has glorified God. In John 17, 10, Jesus says of his disciples, I am glorified in them. In other words, God's glory in Jesus cannot be separated from his glory revealed in the church. Verse 21 also says that God is glorified in all generations and forever and ever. Our prayer should be that God would not just be glorified in our generation but that God would be glorified in the next generation, in our children's generation, and that God would be glorified in my grandchildren's generation and in my great-grandchildren's generation, that in every generation, that there would be those who would rise up to give glory to God. And in so doing, God's glory will never fade. It will never diminish. For us, glory fades, glory diminishes. We all get our 15 minutes of fame and then our glory goes away and soon we are just nothing but a vague memory that God's glory never fades and God's glory never ends. And that should be our longing, to see God be glorified forever and ever. And that is why God asks, why Paul asks God to give us more strength and knowledge and fullness because we he knows that the more we experience and know God's love and power, it increases our capacity in order to glorify him. So we should ask God, for the capacity to know him more so that we can glorify him more. There's a saying that theology leads to doxology. Theology is just the study of God. Doxology is the praise of God. So what we're saying is that theology, knowing God, will lead to doxology, praising God. In other words, the more you know about God, the better you can praise him. My favorite rap artist is Shai Lin. And on his album, Lyrical Theology Part 2, he says this. He says, if you have theology without doxology, then you just have cold, dead orthodoxy. But if you have doxology without theology, you actually have idolatry. You see, praising God without knowing God is idolatry. Because you don't know who it is or what it is that you're actually worshiping. It's just this random expression without actually being focused on the truth of who God is. Jesus in John four twenty four says, "Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth." And so our praise and our worship for God must be informed by a right understanding of who God is. And so we need to pray like Paul for an increased comprehension of who God is, so that we can pray for Him in the right praise Him in the right way. And so my prayer for us as a church is that we would glorify God, yes, but that we would glorify God because we know God, because we have increased our knowledge of God and so we can praise and worship him all the better. Ecclesia, may I encourage us in this time as we're all stuck at home, that we would go deeper, that we would dig into the love of God that we would not be satisfied with what we know about God's love and God's power. And if we're struggling to understand of it, that we would pray for the capacity to know and understand him more. But let us not settle for what we know about God. For some of you, maybe you've never heard of God's love before. Maybe this is the first time you've heard how Jesus came to die for you so that you could experience forgiveness and relationship with the Father. And my prayer for you, if that's you today, my prayer is that today you would begin this journey of accepting the love of God and growing in his love for you. For others of you, maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a really long time and you've kind of plateaued. I mean, you've gotten to this point where you you used to study, you used to be into it a lot, you used to want to know more about God, but now it's it's okay, you kind of know enough and you've just kind of settled, you've plateaued. May I challenge us all Let us not be complacent with what we know about God and his love for us. You know, there's going to be this temptation during this time while we're sitting at home to put our life on pause until this virus thing kind of gets over. But instead of just biding our time, let's use this time that God has given to us to proactively grow in our knowledge of who God is, to grow, to be hungry, to know the love and the power of God. Maybe that means that you need to get involved in discipleship. You know, even during this time, we can still do discipleship. We can do virtual discipleship through, through FaceTime, through phone calls. Maybe that means signing up for School of the Bible. We're going to be starting our spring term of School of the Bible this Wednesday. And, and during this lockdown, we're going to do School of the Bible through a web conference. Maybe it's just committing yourself to daily Bible reading and, and to prayer. But however we do this, people, let us dig deep into his love and dig deep into his power because doing so will root you and it will ground you and it will cause you to mature into the fullness of Christ. And most importantly, it will bring more glory to God. So we should ask God for the capacity to know him more so that we can glorify him more. Ecclesia, let us be committed to knowing God better so that he might be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen.